You're listening to the TNT Effect, the Athletes Podcast. This is the podcast where athletes discuss their journey and sports professionals talk about how they support these athletes. I'm your host, Dr. Tierra Roll. Let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm speaking with licensed clinical social worker, Lisa Bontasumi. And now Lisa has over 21 years of clinical experience. She's a mental health and sports performance specialist. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So I didn't go into like your big introduction because I want you to introduce that and talk about that specifically, you know, in details, exactly what you do and how you help athletes. But the first thing I want to touch on is um, licensed clinical social worker. Can you explain specifically what that is? And then also the difference between a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and a, a licensed social clinical worker? Yes, yes, absolutely. So a licensed clinical social worker means that someone, well, I'll just say I, I have a, a bachelor's degree, and then I went and got a master's degree in clinical social work. I went to Smith College School for Social Work. So you're trained to be a clinician. You're trained to be practicing clinical work. Um, in any setting that requires that or looks for that. And the cool thing with licensed clinical social workers, you could work in schools, um, clinics, hospitals, prisons, I mean, the community, you name it. So I was really attracted to that um, credential because it speaks about the person in the environment. It's very broad. It incorporates culture, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, things like that. And it sees the person and how those things impact the person. Um, so that really spoke to me and what I stand for and what I believe in and how I view my life and how I view others. So I chose that. And then after you get your master's, you have to actually work in the field as a practicing clinician for two years under supervisor. And then when I, I went through it, I had to take a written test and an oral exam. Um, and then you get to say you're an LCSW. The difference between that and the psychologist is their training is different. Their emphasis is different. They don't have that that environment view. Um, I don't know as much about it because that's not my training, but I I know there's clinical psychologists and sports psychologists. They're different. um, And some can be both. Um, One of my mentors is both. And then a psychiatrist is actually a medical doctor um, who went to med school, did all their internships, all the residencies, and then specialized in psychiatry. And I don't know the exact amount of years that they have to like actually do psychiatry amongst everything else that they're doing to become a psychiatrist. And then these days, a psychiatrist is someone who mostly manages um, medication for mental health disorders and illnesses, does not usually do the therapy, but back in the day, they kind of did both. So it depends on what role they play and in what um, capacity they're, they're serving their patients. So that's the difference. So in regards to, you know, your area of focus, you work more specifically with athletes. Why did you choose that population to serve? Mm -hmm. Great question. So in the, in the introduction you gave, I've been an LCSW for over 21 years, but I have not been working with athletes for over 21 years. My practice has basically been, I worked um, with the homeless I've worked with the chronically mentally ill. I've worked with um, young young adolescents in juvenile justice. Um, I've worked in schools, and and then I started my private practice. So I focused focused mainly on folks of color, um, mixed race folks, interracial 
couples and cross-racial parenting. And then I messed around and had some kids with my husband. And one of them is, is an elite athlete right now. <laughs> She's 14. She plays high-level softball. And so she, through her experience of wanting to achieve and wanting to do well and doing so, she had her own challenges around the sport performance piece, um, around perfectionism, around negative thoughts, self-doubt, um, just not knowing how to, that you have the power to harness your mind to create whatever you want. And so I was like, she can't be the only young athlete dealing with this. She can't be the only young athlete playing softball. There's probably others. And, I, and then, so it opened up my whole idea of like, I'm helping her, me and my, he's a therapist too. So we're helping her trying to get her mindset right. I was like, wait a minute, what if, what if I just shifted everything? Cause in, in her playing, she had me actually get back to recognizing in connection with my own old competitive uh, athlete myself. Cause I grew up playing soccer. That was my sport. And then I got injured and I couldn't play it collegially and, and beyond because of that injury. I didn't have anyone to help me process that. I didn't have anyone to help me know that I was valued beyond the books and beyond the field. I never had that chance to explore that. So um, with the inspiration of my daughter helping me get back in touch with that, I was like, I'm going to shift everything. So now I work with collegiate athletes, adolescent athletes, um, Olympians and pros. Um, I'm actually um, the sport performance um, and mental health specialist for the Oakland Roots Sports Club, which is a men's pro soccer team. And they actually are a purpose-driven club, which is super awesome. They're about social justice, equity, giving back to the community of Oakland. So it just made sense um, in my transition to kind of do that kind of work and to incorporate all the things that are valued in my profession and that I value myself. So after being licensed for 21 years, I went back and am and, and getting my uh, CMPC, which is a certified mental performance certification. Um, to um, also do the sport performance piece in conjunction with the mental health piece. I do both. So let's break that down a little bit. Um, what does it look like when you're working with an athlete um, who's struggling mentally? And, you know, it, it's not necessarily a mental illness. Um, right. And, and let's tap on that too. What yeah. is mental illness versus having just, you know, going through some things mentally? So describe the difference between that and then also, you know, what does it look like when you're working with these athletes who have to deal with so many different things, especially this past year, we had a number of different crises take place, social injustices and, you know, a pandemic and relationships. We have activism in so many different um, forms from sexual orientation and all of those things. So go ahead and kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean... Uh, it's a great question, especially now we're in May. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. It's an awesome opportunity. I mean, I think this month and every month to talk about um, awareness around what mental health is and what it isn't. Like everyone has mental health, just like everyone has physical health. Everyone. So mental health, I think, has been confused and synonymous with mental illness, which is not the case. And so being able to talk about the difference. So Mental health is what we all have, what we all grow to want to be and have. So mental health includes um, emotional, psychological, and social well-being. So emotional being able to um, express our emotions, know what we're feeling in our body, in our hearts, and be able to speak to them. Psychological well-being is being able to use tools and practices to um, impact how you feel in spite of your emotional reaction to something. So let's say 
let's say I, I didn't get, I had the opportunity to score the winning goal and I didn't. So my initial emotion is like upset, dread. Um, I let my team down. I'm embarrassed, all this stuff. That's my emotional reaction. But using our psychological tools and practice can then, can then shift our emotional reaction to how we feel about it. So one way I can feel about it is I'm no good. I suck. I ain't never going to score a goal again. But with proper tools and practices, it can be like, I understand that's one moment in time. I tried my best. These are my takeaways. These are my learnings from that experience to take forward so that I feel better about myself moving forward. Um, so that's psychological and then social well-being, a part of mental health also is the quality of our relationships and social interactions in our friendships that we're able to give to those relationships and nurture them and also receive. So if we're checking in on those, I'd say like daily, where am I at emotionally? How am I feeling right now? What are my tools and practices that I, I'm, I'm putting into, into my space right now? How am I feeling about my friendships and my relationships? Am I giving enough? Am I reaching out? Am I receiving enough? So when we do that, our mental health can be solid and optimal. What happens is when that's not, for whatever reasons, there could be stressors like the injustices you were talking about, like COVID, like our seasons being canceled, like us not playing or being injured, whatever, um, we can start to have mental health challenges where those stressors come in and we get overwhelmed and not, we're not able to manage them like we used to or manage life like we used to because now there's this whole other level on it. Um, so it becomes challenges and then it can dip into mental illness or mental disorders, which um, are diagnosable conditions. They're a set of criteria um, together. When they happen, they impact level of functioning. So you're not able to uh, sort of function in your relationships in life, at school, at work, this, at the same level as you did before. Um, you're not able to maybe go to work or get up or get there. So some examples of mental health disorders or mental illnesses are like depression. There's major depression, there's bipolar depression, there's anxiety, like generalized anxiety, there's post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and there's eating disorders, which come up with athletes often. Um, so those are like the main ones I work with, but in with the LCSW, I'm trained and have experience with being able to see the signs of it dipping down from mental health into not so healthy, into a challenge, into a disorder, try to interrupt that so it doesn't get there and try to keep it as optimal as possible. So when I'm sitting with a patient or a client, um, whether it be one-on-one -on -one at the field or in my office or over, over Zoom, our meetings are basically like a conversation. What's up? How are you? What are we doing? How are you feeling? I always open up my, my sessions with, give me three emotions you're feeling right now. So that they can, they're grounded in that. We know what we're working with. And that helps me kind of guide the session. I'm like, what do you want to work on today? Do you want to work on feeling better about A, B, and C? Or do you want to work on sport performance? So mental health can, we can talk about emotions, the tools, the practices, your relationships with your boss, your teammate, your coach, your partner, your kids, any, it's life, it's life. Sport performance is how are you feeling about being an athlete in your sport right now? Do you have, do you have sport performance anxiety? Um, are you like just up when it's time to do a penalty kick? Are you like in your head a lot talking about like, I can't do this. I don't even know why I'm here. Like what's going on that's help that's inhibiting you from performing optimally or at your peak performance in your sport. It could be because there's life is impacting it. I just broke up with my girlfriend. That's all I can think about. I can't focus on the game. 
why am I even here? Uh, so like learning how to cope with life as it impacts how your athletic performance on the field and being able to implement tools to help that happen. I believe that it's cool to be able in one person, in my capacity, in my role to do both. Some settings, it's better to separate them, whether it's mental health person, just that, and then the sport performance person, just that, and then they collaborate. So it depends on the setting, your role, um, what you're trained in, what you what you want to do, what you feel competent in. Um, but I love that I could I can do both. I love that I can do both. And the team I work with loves that too. Now for coaches, for your medical staff, um, you know, even teammates, what are some things that we should look for or, you know, be cognizant of um, with an athlete who's showing signs of, you know, something's off, something's wrong, you know, maybe even their performance is changing dramatically for whatever reason. So what are some things that we should look for you know, maybe they're just having a bad day versus, okay, now we're kind of getting over into the line, crossing the line into maybe they're really struggling. And this could really take a deep dive and be something that um, is very detrimental to them. Ideally, we don't wait. Ideally, we don't wait for a sign. We're always checking in. As teammates, that's a priority. Like, how you doing? How's it going? What's up? And to know your, to know your teammates broader than their role on, in their team, their role on the court or the field or the ice, wherever you're competing, that, that coaches feel comfortable checking in about that on a general, putting in something that's structured and already there, that it happens no matter how people are feeling, no matter what you're seeing. So I put in place for the Oakland Roots um, excellence partners. So we call them EPs. And so at the beginning of the season, everybody picks their EP and that's your person that you're checking in with. That's your person who's checking in with you on your goals, your positive self statements, how you're doing in life, chit chatting right now with COVID, it's, it's easy to be, for it to be their roommate so they can like just be each other's EP in, in the COVID restricted environment. Um, but you're checking in regardless. And so I recommend that there's structures that, that are already there. Let's say in, a coach is checking in in that regular structure, whatever it might be, um, and a teammate is, and then they're like, okay, you know, Bobby is saying something different than he's usually said, or Bobby is, is um, been in this kind of funk for a couple of weeks or longer, and it's different. There's a pattern that's different. Um, then, then the teammates and the coaches need to know what kind of resources are there. So, and the medical staff, if they're, if the, if the, the trainer is dealing with that and like when they're stretching them out, oh, I'm hearing something different or they've been being stressed out for this or it's getting worse then to know who, who then to send them to, to talk to. So in my, on my team is me. And so mm -hmm. they know that if it starts to be this, then they like, let's, let's have a chat with Lisa, but they're already seeing me. So it just might be a heads up. It just might be a heads up. Cause I can't disclose what the content of my sessions are with my players. Right. The whole organization knows that that's confidentiality. That's HIPAA compliant. But if they just in our monthly meeting say like, Hey, just keep an eye out on, on Jason. He was saying this when I was stretching him out. I'm like, okay, duly noted. And then my, mine is, these are the themes I'm seeing this month. Um, I can't name the names. So I'm saying these are the general themes, this, this, and this. And then, so the team, the personal trainers, the medical staff, the coaches, the assistants are all okay, that's a theme. Let me just be intentional about that and make sure I'm keeping my eyes and ears out about that. So there's communication with all of us, which is key. 
Um, but it's it's selective and intentionally selective to protect the confidentiality of the, of the athletes. And if they want to talk about it, they can. They can break their own confidentiality and share and be able to say, like, this is what me and Lisa are talking about. A lot of them do anyway. So this is what Lisa and I are talking about. Um, and, and so it's open. But that's that's their choice, not mine. So in addition to confidentiality, what other um, other ways you build trust with the athletes that you work with? I try to be visible um, outside of just our time. Like, so if we have a video session set up, like, I don't want to just be, that's the only time you're going to see me. So with COVID restrictions, we're trying to expand it more, but I try to go to, um, we're, we're putting in place where I can go to practices. They did a, they did a headshot series for their new kits, um, a couple weeks ago. And so I was able to go with masks on and kind of just hang out them vibe me, me vibe them. Um, there's going to be like um, a partner event with our partners and then the team's going to show up. So we're going to hang out at this at this restaurant next week. And then, you know, I'm going to, I'm trying to go to as many games as we, as I can now that the season has started. So a bunch of us staff and, and technical team are going to um, <laughs> take a road trip to Sacramento, which is about an hour and a half from where we live here in Oakland um, and go cheer them on in their first away game. And so um, be invisible. Showing I'm accessible, showing that I'm I'm a human too, that I I'm here to help, and you know I'm here and available, and you know I'm I'm down to earth, um, you know, and just let them know I'm here, that I'm not hiding behind a screen or an office or something, that I can I'm out and I'm about and like you know stuff like that. So it's it's being visible basically. I like that. I like that. You know, when they have team building activities, do you also attend those as well? Yeah, I help run those. Those are important. Um, that's part of the role of the, um, sport performance specialist to help with the team building, team goal setting, individual goal setting, things like that. So they see me involved and we do that sometimes with the coaches and without, depending on the goal of what we're trying to do so they can feel fully themselves. Um, yeah, it depends on the situation. Now, have you had experience with those athletes who would be considered, I guess, like the golden ticket? within their community or their families? And if so, like, how do you work with that athlete to handle those pressures that are put upon them by their families or their communities to to be successful, to hopefully make it to the highest level so they can bring in the money that would help their families? Yeah, it's, it's, it happens a lot, um, especially in certain communities where, you know, that, that is the only way. Um, that people can make it out of their community or their situation or their environment. Um, and I think a lot of times the pressure is like people who put pressure on those athletes don't even realize how, how much pressure that is, what it causes them to think about day in and day out, what it causes them to feel and not feel. Um, and the, the steps and things they, they do to cope with that pressure that sometimes aren't the most healthy for them physically or mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that, I mean, I have seen it. It's crazy. I've seen it where it works. I've seen it where it works and, and these athletes can do it. And I've seen it more often where they can't um, because I don't think people realize communities don't realize families don't realize what it really takes. Like we, you and I both know it's like, you know, one to 5% make it to play collegiately and less than one to 1% make it to play pro. And it's such a huge loss. I mean, people, and I'm going to say this openly, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. We're talking about mental health. People attempt and commit suicide around this stuff. 
That's how much pressure it is. But I can't do it. I'm not letting just myself down or my team down. I'm letting my family down, my siblings down, my community down because they want me to do this. Mm-hmm. So I try to teach them depending on how old, usually it's collegiate going into pro or early pro. I, I don't just talk to the athlete. I, I try to also figure out ways to communicate with the family members about how you are communicating these expectations, what's realistic, what isn't. Um, you know, and then if they're on that verge of collegiate and pro and they don't make it, like, how do they talk about that as a family? How do they talk about it? Or they get injured right away. That's something else that happens a lot. And then the dream is crashed. It's hard. And that these, these athletes don't have any other identity besides going to school and playing their sport. And so they feel like that's all they can do to help get their families out of a situation or leave a community into a better community whatever that might look like, but there's other ways athletes, you know, are multidimensional humans that that's one valuable way they contribute to the sport, to themselves, to their family, but, you know, being able to, or as early as possible, build in the value that they have as people that there are other interests. I mean, you could have a nice career as a business person that could help your family a lot. You don't have to be a professional athlete. You could be an entrepreneur. You could get a nice career, a nice job, knowing that there are options, that this isn't just the one and only thing. And if you F it up, then it, you, you, you actually just disappointed everybody. And the weight of that is detrimental. So even just being able to have conversations about how they feel about that, what they wish it could be, how they're coping and having that private is, is actually really, really helpful for a lot of them. And that I'm not even asking about their sport. They can bring it in. There's been many, many sessions where I don't even talk about their sport. I don't ask it. If they want to bring it up, they can. I'm like, how are you? What's going on with you? Right. How are you feeling? You, like this is a space for you to express yourself. If you want to talk about your athlete self, cool. But I'm here to talk about whatever you want and whoever you are in this moment. So the press, okay. So the athlete who has no idea what they would do outside of the sport. And you're trying to help them identify and unpack who they are as a human being, uh, their interests and different things to to really figure out or define what their life would look like outside of the sport. What does that process look like? What does that conversation sound like? So like it's about helping them, helping them realize that they have other dimensions that maybe they haven't even had a chance to express or even know they could. So it might be trying different things. It might be trying or talking to people in fields that somehow seem interesting to you. I have an NFL player now who's already, he hasn't even left the NFL and he's doing real estate. I have another one who's doing construction and is building that business and building that network already. So it doesn't, you don't have to wait. You shouldn't, you shouldn't wait till your career is over. Right. But it's exploring and having these conversations with, you know, in ways that maybe they never had, like, and being patient with that, like they might not even know, like if I say like, what are you passionate about in this case, um, besides football and football? <laughs> right. right. And like, and they're like, what? No one's ever asked me that. I'm like, okay, well, how does it feel for me to ask you that? Like, I don't know, Miss Lisa. And so like, and then we like, then we just go from there. We go from there. Like I might give them homework about like listening to this podcast or reading this article or checking out this movie or talking to this professional who's in who's in something that you've said you're kind of interested in, um, you know, it's career development almost. Um, or like what? It's not even like to make money either, but it's like what hobbies do you think you'd like to explore? 
I think it's important for athletes to find something that they're creative in. What's it like to like sit and like write some spoken word down or, or listen to some lyrics on, on that cut and like talk about it or like listen to that music or play that instrument or go to that concert or do like explore genre you've never listened to before and see it live. Um, like what would it be like for you to go hit, listen to opera? You know, huh? I'm like, come on now. Like there are no restrictions except the restrictions you put on yourself. So if that's something that you would even want to try and, and grow your comfort zone, then let's do it. Let's figure it out. So it's identifying interests that could lead to passions that could lead to a career or it could stay as a hobby. And then let's have a different kind of arm of the conversation about career development and other things. It goes wherever the human I'm sitting with takes it. You know, and I try to guide it as much as possible, give them food for thought, give them other perspectives, give them things to think about, to explore. And then, you know, that's how it goes week to week. Yeah. You try new things and see what, what sticks and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, now for that injured athlete, they are in a funk. How do you help them get over that, that hump and kind of get back into a positive mindset to help them heal as best as possible and as quickly as possible? but also get back to playing the sport after the physical injury is healed. And now their confidence may be shaken and they have to figure out how to, you know, navigate, you know, all of that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I see, um, I treat and look at a situation like a loss, right? So from a mental health perspective, processing that loss, just like um, the loss of a job, because it kind of is for a second the loss of an opportunity, the loss of something that you've been counting on. And so when we have losses, we have to grieve those losses and express our feelings about it. Um, and so that's what I help my athletes do is to, is to name it as a loss, uh, a loss that has happened. Like you, you didn't make this happen. This is not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. This injury happened. And so now it's our responsibility to treat it from all different levels, physically, and that's, you know, your, your doctor, the trainers, your physical therapist, and then mentally from a mental health perspective and also a sport performance perspective. So mental health, grieving it, talking about it, knowing that this is a moment in time that you're not always going to be injured at this stage of your injury. Not always. Every day you're getting better and better and better. And you're working hard to get better and better and better. And it's an opportunity when your body's not functioning optimally to train your mind. So it's like, the train, the, the mind, the mental skills training takes a whole different direction than when they were not injured. So we'll put in more time. We will, we will challenge all of the negative thoughts that are coming. Like I'm never going to get better. This is too hard. This hurts too much. Like I'm never going to earn my spot back. Like I'm never going to be able to be like tight with so-and-so anymore because like, I don't get to play with them anymore. There's all this. I don't anymore. I can't, I can't, I can't. So we, each and one of those statements we take individually, I have them write them down. And then I have them write a positive self statement to counter it. And then I, we cross off that list or crunch it up or burn it or throw it away of the negative statements. And then we only focus on the positive. If those negative statements keep, keep popping in, it's literally no stop. And then I say the positive ones. And then I have them write them very, very often, depending on what stage of their healing process there are from their injuries. I have them write them a lot to embed the mind, to retrain the mind that this is positive. This is temporary. We're here now. And every day is better. 
And these are the things I commit to physically and mentally to be better. I also have them do a lot of mental rehearsal, which is accessing all of your senses to in your mind, rehearse how you want your healing process to go, how you want it to be like, what are you going to look like, feel like, be like, perform like in a week from now, less than back it up four days from now, three days from now, let's look at it. Let's see it. So what do you need to do mentally and physically to get to that third, fourth, fifth day? It's structured. It's unique to each athlete, you know, and as the days go on and when I get to talk to them, I, I'm always, okay, where are you at? Where's your head at? What are you thinking? Because when you think something, you feel it and then you behave as such. So we want it to be positive. Your brain doesn't know the difference between if you are doing something positive or thinking it positively. So instead of working out 25 times a day, doing the same skill physically, why don't we just mentally rehearse it 25 times a day? It's the same thing. Your brain don't know the difference. So that is the power of it. That's the power of the mind. And I want everybody to be able to know that, that, that you have that ability to do it. It's skills training though. You have to, you have to put in the work just like you do with your physical skills. It ain't going to happen. I'm not going to mental rehearse one time and then I'm good. It's every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And so I'll put, I'll put them on a particular mental skills training program for their situation. Sometimes these guys are, are re-injured in the same spot or different. So it's like going back to like, how was it last time you were injured? Cause then they can get triggered about like, oh, oh, SHIT is gonna be like it was before. Like, well, no, it doesn't have to be. We can approach it differently. So it depends. It depends on the athlete, the kind of um, injury. Is, this, is, is the prognosis shorter than longer? Like it, there's variance where we, are, where we are in the season. Do we have five games left or 15 games left? It depends. So, and then I'm in coordination with um, all the staff who take care of the athlete from all perspectives to like just coordinate our approaches and make sure that we're all kind of given the athlete the same messaging. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you said um, if you're physically injured, you know, you put more time into the mental side, the mental training. And um, it's like if you lose one of your senses, then like your other senses intensify. So like you lose your sight, mm. hearing intensifies. That's a good um, way to look at it. And um, or at least that's what popped into my mind. <laughs> um, that's great. That's great. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for take, for you to, to work on your mental skills training that much more because there's a, a way you can't physically train the same way. So we're not just going to be idle there and just wait. We're going to do everything we can that, that we are prescribed to do from a physical level and not do it too soon to avoid re-injury. But then, then we pick up the mental skills part. We pick that up because we still want to be active. There's still things we're in control of. There's things we can still take action around. It's not just waiting. And then getting in your head and your thoughts about, oh gosh, da, 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 it gets more in a black hole. One thought leads to another, and you're like, uh, and it's like, whoa, like let's get let's get you back. That's we don't want to be there. Let's let's stay, you know, with the with the mental skills training and the focus and concentration, knowing this is temporary. I mean, all those things. It's like they, we have to keep saying it over and over. Um, and that's okay. I mean, we're not counting on these athletes to like remember everything we say every, for the first time. Um, we have to repeat it. We have to rehearse. We have to like train on it all the time. Mm -hmm. Now you talked about some of these already, but what are some, some healthy habits to obtain and maintain um, your mental health? Making sure that you're always checking in with yourself about how you're feeling, where you're at, um, making sure that you have um, a set of tools and practices that work for you. 
and that you have uh, options. Some of my athletes call them their toolbox, or you can go in there and choose based on, on where you're at and what you feel like that you have equally effective tools that you can choose for today. Um, some, I mean, a lot of my, my athletes meditate um, on a regular basis, um, regardless, like it's preventative. So we don't have it go and dip into, like I said before, the mental health challenges and then disorders slash illnesses. So we, we do, uh, we set routines that don't change. Um, daily routines, pre-competition routines, competition, post-competition, um, pre-practice, practice, post-practice. So everything is lined out. So not scheduling in like a very regimented way, but routines so that you feel grounded and steadied by them and know what to expect. When, when we have those in place, anxieties are lower because you don't have to make it up. And it's not a subjective decision all of a sudden because I feel like this. So knowing what you feel, being able to talk about how you're feeling, feeling confident that your tools and practices can help you um, in how you're feeling, and then reaching out and connecting. Isolation is a big thing right now, or has been more so because of COVID, not feeling like you can connect or connect in the ways that you used to. So making sure that you are connecting um, in whatever way that makes sense. It doesn't have to be like hours a day, uh, but that it's, it's intentional that you are connecting with someone that has your back, that cares for you and that you care for them. That is a, a good list of things to have in your toolkit. And when you said for today, because, you know, one tool that worked one day may not necessarily be the tool that you, that's going to work today. So you have to have a variety of um, coping skills and practices to get you through any situation. Um, exactly. And that might be part of our initial work too. Cause some, some of my athletes like, I don't know, I, I, I have a beer. I'm like, okay, <laughs> talk to me about that. Like, how is that? Um, and so we want to make sure they are adaptive and a healthy tools, not maladaptive that then would basically sink your mental health um, in the long run. Um, so it's, it, and that's, you know, some of these athletes never have never been able to talk about or don't even know, haven't been taught that you have the ability to impact how you feel. You have the ability to impact how you perform in your sport and in life. And so giving them that empowerment um, and, and to be able to sit in that confidence that like, oh, okay, I know how to deal with this. I know how, I, last time I use this, I'm gonna try it again. Okay, shoot, like you said, today mm, ain't really landing for me, but maybe, but the cool thing is, is I have this whole box, this whole list because I've t put the work in to create that and identify them and, and try them out when I'm not feeling super, super low, but just as, as a regular practice and like, oh, this, this, I dig it. So I'm gonna keep doing this. So yeah, I mean, journals are really good. Journals are logbooks or sport. I call them sport journals or sport, log, sport logbooks, whatever you want to call it. Sometimes some genders don't want to keep journals. <laughs> so we call it a logbook. Um, so, you know, writing and reflecting, setting your goals, um, knowing where you're going to go, knowing what you're working towards. Um, that's how we create discipline. Um, so just anything that helps the athlete feel confident about who they are as a person and what their role is on their team and their ability to execute that. And lastly, what would you tell younger athletes or any athlete, also the parents and, you know, especially the younger ones who aspire to play at the college level, at the professional level, and then, of course, you know, you have, you know, the pressures increase once you make it to the um, the higher levels too. So again, what would you tell any athlete playing at the elite level and also the parents? Yeah. 
that sport is only part of who you are. You are more than your sport. You are a special human being. You have value. And if you don't feel like that, or if you don't believe that, let's figure that out. Um, find your value to your community, to your family. Let's work hard because your work ethic in your sport is phenomenal. Let's keep that up in other areas, you know, and that for the parents to be able to see that that's a lot of pressure for them to say that they're the ticket out or that they're going to get this or get that. Like with my daughter, I say, baby, you got to keep loving this sport. If you don't, then why do it? How can I help you keep staying in love with this sport? Because it's a relationship too, like anything else. What, what do we need to change if you're starting to be like, eh, I'm not digging it? Um, what do we need to change? How you're relating to it, how you're relating to the sport. Um, she's also like a lot of my athletes, like they're, they're very bright. They are creative. Um, they have their hobbies. Like she, she codes and like is into tech stuff. And um, she's going into high school. She wants to join the debate club. Just being able to explore and having the parents expose them to everything and anything and see what sticks, that the sport is one thing and, and it's not forever. We know that even if you make it to the pros or collegiately, you're gonna probably stop for whatever reason, whether in your control or not, in your mid twenties, early or late twenties. Mm -hmm. And then you have shoot, more than half your life left. What are the transferable skills that you're learning in your sport that you're gonna be able to use in life beyond? So parents, coaches, um, being able to make those connections that what you're learning right now is a life skill too, like discipline, hard work, communication with your teammates and your coaches, um, checking in with yourself. All that stuff is important for you as a human. So to, to have conversations with, with our athletes about that and making that connection for them, like even coaches on a field, they can say something like, I love how you spoke up right there. You let them know you were free, like cool. And they pass it to you. You guys were like communicating. That's amazing because you're doing that in life too. You're doing that with your wife at home. You're doing that with your kids. You know, being able to know the value of what you bring and that what you're learning in your sport is also benefiting you as a person um, and making those connections often. So I think, yeah, that the, the sport shouldn't define you. It's a part of you. How you do in a sport, how you feel about your athletic performance is not how you feel about yourself as a person. It's two different things. One is what you do. The other is who you are. And so believing and knowing and putting value in who you are unconditionally. Parents doing that with their kids unconditionally. I love you no matter what, no matter how this game goes. And I'm here to talk to you about it if you want. And you also have a squad. That's another thing. Having a squad behind the elite athlete to help them be the best that they can be. So my kid has a hitting coach, a defensive coach. She has her, a sports hypnotherapist. I do skills training with her on some levels. Um, she has a, we got her for this summer. She has a strength and conditioning coach and she's 14. But my thing is, girl, if you want to do this, I'm going to put you in front of anybody who can help you get there. And that's on you. If you say this is too much, we'll take it back. If you're loving this, let's do it. You know, I don't want you to be overwhelmed, but if you need help and, and this is something I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do strength and conditioning. That's not my area of expertise. So let me put you in front of somebody who does that and let's schedule it in a way that's around your team schedule, your other stuff, schoolwork, chores, all this other stuff. If it gets too much, we got to keep, and I'm keeping my eye on it. I'm keeping my eye on it. So anyway, I kind of got off topic, but there's a lot that I, that I think that should be said to the elite athlete who wants to go there, that it's 
you're bigger than your sport, your sport's a vehicle to express yourself, to have a platform, to speak about what you believe in. Um, you spoke about like activists, like being able to speak about what you believe in and people are gonna listen to you because you have a certain platform. You're on a certain team or you have a certain role in that team or student university or college, people are gonna listen. So being able to feel like you can speak to that in a way that feels good and safe and supported. But I think the squad or the team behind the athlete is super key too. Cause remember part of mental health is having that social support, having people you can talk to who are gonna give it to you real, who are gonna like have your back and that you can trust. So I think that's super key as well. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. I, I was just over here listening like, yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you if they want to reach out, they have questions, you know, if they're local? I appreciate that question. Um, I'm licensed. So as a licensed clinical social worker, you're licensed in a certain state or states. You can practice only there, even the sport performance stuff. Sport perf- If you're a sport performance specialist, Without the license, you can actually practice nationally and internationally. There's no requirement there. They were handcuffed by our license. Yeah, or or <laughs> you know, I want what's what's the what's the, the positive reframe? I get to focus on these states, but I am I'm licensed in California and Nevada, so I can see athletes and work with teams in both states. You can find me, you know, my website um, is easy, um, LisaBontasumi.com. Um, I know that's a long word. Um, you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, anywhere. You could text me 415-254-0149. I, I will take any way that you want to reach out. Clubhouse. Clubhouse. My handle is at Lisa Bontasumi. Any of those, any of those, you can reach out to Dr. Tierra and she can help you um, refer to me or like get my information. But I want to be an open book. I want people to know that people like me exist. If you feel like it's something that you want to be part of your squad, someone like me, that's how you'd find me. And just know that even though Lisa is licensed in California and Nevada, right? Yes. If you do have a question, feel free to reach out to her anyway, and she can point you in the right direction for, you know, where you are. Exactly. I can only do clinical and sport performance work in those states, but I can do like, I do talks, speak at conferences. Um, do things like that that are more educational and non-clinical, I can do that anywhere. I can do that anywhere. And yeah, if you want to find someone like me in your state, I'm happy. I have a a Rolodex of colleagues I can refer you to um, and we can get you hooked up with someone. Thank you for tuning in today and a special thank you to my guest. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit the subscribe button. To learn about the sports performance, rehab, and wellness services provided by Dr. Tierra, please go to www.thetntfect.com. You can also send questions to info at And remember, a healthy athlete is a whole athlete.